Welcome to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in their lives. And it's a place where your questions about faith and religion can be answered. And now, here's your host, Deacon Al. And thank you, John, and welcome everyone to Good News. I'm Deacon Al. I am a permanent deacon here in the Peoria Diocese, and it's a great privilege to be able to speak with you on Saturday and Sunday evenings here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We don't get a lot of time together, about 30 minutes, but in that time we try and open up the readings of the Sunday Mass for you, as well as talk about some uh, current day issues going on in the church and in the world around us and how the church affects that, and especially like to talk to teenagers. Uh, I think it's important that people know that uh, the good news of the Gospels is for everyone, not just for uh, parents and grandparents, not just for people at work. Um, This is for everyone, uh, for people of all ages. Uh, The Gospel, the truths of, of, of Scripture, and especially of the Gospels, hold true not only through all ages, but through the age of of mankind, from our time as children uh, through the time that we uh, pass and rejoin our Father in heaven. Uh, There's good news to be had through all those ages and great life instructions uh, to help us with issues. So we'll talk about that uh, throughout our programs. Today we'll especially focus on this weekend, which is Pentecost, a very important feast uh, in the life of the Catholic Church, uh, because through this time, this is uh, just prior, I'm sorry, just after uh, the resurrection. We just celebrated the uh, resurrection at Easter, and then the ascension was celebrated last week. And now we have the the promise being fulfilled of, of Jesus's promise of sending an advocate, a helper, a teacher that will assist not only the apostles as they go out into the world to spread the good news, but it also is there to strengthen and support and guide Jesus's church on earth. So we'll be hearing about that in our readings and talking more about it. A couple things I wanted to uh, address beforehand. It's been really nice. Uh, Lately, I've had a number of people come up uh, to me after Mass or, or at various church events saying that they heard the show, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for listening. I, I thought at first, for the first year, maybe the only one listening was John here across the table from me. But now I know there's at least three of you out there. So uh, that's great, and that certainly makes it uh, more uh, more interesting and, and more fun for me to do this. <clears throat> but they also have questions along the way. And there's been a lot of questions recently about activities within the church. So we have, as you know, some politicians who talk about their great uh, uh, Catholic faith, and yet in the laws that they espouse and in in their public statements, they support some activities that are very un-Catholic and I, I believe unchristian. Yeah. And the the church, as as the church often is with with politics, fairly quiet about these things. Well, we had one bishop, an archbishop actually, for the San Francisco area where uh, Senator Pelosi is from. And Senator Pelosi, who uh, claims to be Catholic, and I'll, I'll take her at her word, I mean, she's probably been baptized and confirmed, so we're going to say that, that uh, Senator Pelosi is Catholic. But she's also a great advocate of, uh, of abortion. And abortion pretty much at any age, all the way up to birth, and she's been very vocal about this. This is not a private confession that she's made in, in the uh, 
in the confidentiality of a confessional. These are, these are public statements from a public person. And so the archbishop, uh, and a lot of people don't understand this, they think he made a public statement because she made a public statement, and he didn't. He sent a, he sent a private letter uh, to Senator Pelosi, and in that letter he suggested to her that she should not present herself for communion because she is in a state of mortal sin through her support of abortion. That's no secret to any Catholic. In fact, that's probably no secret to non-Catholics. I think pretty much everybody who's who's knowledgeable of, of this uh, discussion on abortion knows and understands the stand of the Catholic Church on this. So this is not a secret. Uh, she made it public. He addressed it privately. She took the private letter and then made it public. So now the issue is out in the public. We have an archbishop who is suggested to a Catholic who is under his uh, shepherd, you know, part of his flock, has suggested to one of his sheep that she probably should not be presenting herself for communion because she would be committing a grave sin in doing so and endangering uh, her, her soul. So she makes this public, and of course, uh, everybody starts to take sides. Who's right? Who's wrong? Is it Senator Pelosi or is it the bishop? So I just want to I, I want to clarify a couple things. Uh, Senator Pelosi is free to have whatever opinion she wants, and she's welcome to support any law that she wants to support as long as her constituents want that too and are willing to continue to elect her and ask her to represent their views. Uh, in that line, she's right. She can say whatever she wants. She has that authority. On the other hand, the church the church has the authority, and we'll hear this in Scripture, the church has authority to say, this is sinful and this isn't. And the archbishop, certainly within his geographic area of authority, can say to a member of his flock, what you're doing is sinful, and you need to change if you want to avail yourself of the sacraments. If you want God's blessing, doesn't it make sense that you have to do things that are pleasing to God? So the archbishop said, this, this is my decision and my authority. So he's right. Uh, no one can say he's wrong because he has that authority. He's the archbishop. The bishop is, has the authority within their geographic region. So now we have another archbishop. We have the archbishop who is over uh, the District of Columbia, who has welcomed Senator Pelosi to receive communion. Is he right or wrong? Well, let's talk in the same way we've talked about Senator Pelosi and the Archbishop of, uh, of San Francisco. He's right. The Archbishop of D.C. is right. He's right in that he has the authority to say that. But you'll notice what he didn't say. He didn't say the Archbishop of San Francisco was wrong. He said that in, in the area where I have authority, I'm going to welcome her to communion. The other bishop has the authority to say something different. So who's right? Who's wrong? What does the church say? Well, let's look at canon law. Canon law says that the Archbishop of San Francisco is right. In fact, according to canon law, to which Senator Pelosi is 
is supposed to be following as well as a Catholic that she espouses to be, says that if you're in a state of grave sin, you should not receive communion. So she's that if and if you do, you've you've in essence excommunicated yourself, auto excommunication. She has excommunicated herself by making herself uh, ineligible to receive a sacrament. So we have we have layers of truth here. Everybody's right. Senator's free to say what she wants. The archbishop has the authority within his district to say what he wants. The Archbishop of D.C. has authority within his venue to say what he, what he wants to support or deny. So in that case, everybody's right. At some point, each of them is going to have to uh, defend their actions before Christ in their final judgment. I think that uh, our archbishops stand a much better chance of acceptance than Senator Pelosi does. I I Personally, uh, I, I've talked about this before. I think I think abortion in all cases is wrong. I think the uh, that human life has to be defended at all stages, especially in stages where they're defenseless. That it's up to the rest of us to stand up for them and and for their their life and for the quality of their life. So I think she's wrong, and. Uh, I, I support both bishops and their authority to say what they want for their area. The Pope has now uh, elevated a bishop within the uh, who is actually under the Archbishop of San, San Francisco, uh, Cordelione, <laughs> uh, has uh, advanced someone ahead of the Archbishop to Cardinal. That's okay. That's within the Pope's venue. Everybody is doing what's in their authority. And so they're exercising their authority, given them by Christ, correctly. The only one who is not acting in accord with their authority is Senator Pelosi. And I think at some point, uh, she's going to have to answer for that. The good news is, and, and this is good news, she has, up until her moment of death, to change her mind. I mean, that's, that's a merciful God who's, who will look at this and say, you know, what you're, what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're professing, what you're supporting is completely contrary to, to my love and my law. And yet, if during your lifetime you will repent, I will forgive you. And I think that's amazing news. Uh, if, if she has that opportunity for repentance— and for forgiveness and for absolution, for that the sin of abortion and, and of promoting abortion, then think about the potential for us in our, in our sins that we too have that opportunity for mercy from God by simply realizing our error and repenting. Uh, repent simply means to turn a different direction and come back to Christ and to God's love and God's law. So I pray for Senator Pelosi. I, I pray for our bishops. Um, it's it's a difficult situation. Uh, the bishop of uh, in D.C., by the way, isn't saying she's right. He's saying that communion shouldn't be weaponized uh, for political purposes. I don't think that's what what Archbishop Cordelioni was doing. But if that's the way this other bishop wants to view it, that the church has 
a wide array of opinions, and it's still in debate over whether this is weaponizing uh, the, the sacrament or not. But if that's what he feels, he he's welcome to that uh, opinion until the church makes an authoritative decision on it. And uh, we we tend to be merciful. We tend to be patient with with human error. So whether there will ever be an an authoritative decree from the Vatican on this issue, there might be, there might not be. But the thing to remember is uh, we're human, uh, we're flawed, and pray for those who have wandered away from the path of, of Christ. And I believe there's been some wandering on this issue, not only by the senator, but by by other people. Um, our president also, uh, President Biden, uh, proudly uh, proclaims his uh, catholicity, and yet um, he also supports abortion. And at some point, they're either going to have to repent or come before the judgment of Christ. And I would not want to be in those shoes uh, with with those actions uh, when that moment happens. So that's just my my take on things. Everybody's acting within their authority. It's a it's a difficult church issue, but uh, I think we can find. I'm, I know that we can show in Scripture and in canon law where where the church actually stands on this and uh, continue to pray for their souls and and for their repentance. So we're going to talk about Pentecost, and which actually ties in with the authority of the church on these matters. So we have Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, coming up this weekend. And actually, it's right now. And uh, I love Pentecost. There's so much that comes out of it. Uh, the readings, today's readings are a bit long, but we're going to go through them because there's just great information in there. Um, to, to start things off, in the Catholic Church, as in, in Scripture— Scripture talks about baptism by water and the Holy Spirit. So we know about that in, in our baptism. That's when we receive the Holy Spirit, and we consider that uh, baptism in in water and, and the Holy Spirit. But there's also a second—you can almost call it a second baptism in the Catholic Church we call confirmation. Confirmation is based on the events of Pentecost, which also comes from other points in the Scripture that happen— happened after the Pentecost, the apostles see baptism as a two-stage uh, event. You have, your, you have your water baptism in the name of the Trinity, and then you would have the Holy Spirit called down upon you as they did at Pentecost. And where we can see this specifically is in the book of Acts, it talks about Philip, and this is Deacon Philip, not the Apostle Philip, uh, going into Samaria and having a very successful uh, mission, evangelizing, and brought hundreds into the church through baptism. And he comes back and he's telling the apostles about this trip and how successful it's been. And Peter asks them, have they received the Holy Spirit yet? And Philip said no. So uh, two of the apostles travel back to where Philip was in Samaria, and they they lay hands on and bring the Holy Spirit down onto those who had been baptized. So that's that's the Pentecost, the calling down of, of the Holy Spirit. And so in the Catholic Church today, we still have these two stages. 
of baptism and then confirmation. The, the laying of hands on, on those who have been baptized by the, and laying of hands by the bishop and the calling down of the Holy Spirit, where we receive uh, a strengthening, a sealing of the, Holy, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that the, we know again from, from Scripture that soon after Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, Jesus was baptizing. In fact, right across the Jordan from John. So there were two different types of baptism. John's was a, a, was a baptism of uh, repentance and preparation, and Jesus's was a baptism of salvation. So after the the apostles had and other people had been baptized, then we have the Pentecost with the calling down of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we that's what we celebrate in Mass this weekend, and our readings from the Acts of the Apostles, and also from uh, from Paul to the Romans, and then from John, uh, convey a lot of this history, but they also carry some new information that refers back to the authority of the Church. And I think that's a really important lesson because the Catholic Church, the first of the Christian churches, the Christian church from which all other Christian churches sprang from in some fashion, but it's also the church that gave us so much of our worship method methodology, uh, that gave us the Mass, that gave us really the contents of the Bible. The Scripture was written but nowhere in Scripture do you find a list saying, this is what I want in the Bible. That authority of what Scripture would be considered sacred, that authority came from Christ through the Catholic Church, and it happens at Pentecost. So that's what we'll be hearing about in, in, our, uh, in our Gospel. So we begin with a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. This, of course, being written by Luke. The Acts of the Apostles is often looked at as the second half of the Gospel of Luke. Luke writes, When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, and Pentecost, by the way, was a a Jewish celebration that that took place 50 days uh, after the High Holy Days. When the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, they were all in one place together. And suddenly there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind. And it was filled with, I'm sorry, and it filled the entire house in which they were. Then they appeared there, then there appeared to them tongues of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At this sound they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, and they asked, Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how does each of us hear them in our native language? We are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya and Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. The word of the Lord. One thing I really like about this reading, we we talk sometimes 
not so much uh, in the Catholic faith, but in Pentecostal and also in charismatic uh, Catholic about uh, the, the gift of tongues, of speaking in tongues. And that's not what we're seeing here necessarily, because what's happening is different people are hearing the same person speak, but they're hearing, each one's hearing in their own language. So this is a different gifts of tongues. This isn't one person speaking uh, in, in an ancient language or in the language of the Holy Spirit, as, they, as, as some of the Pentecostals would, would say. This is someone speaking in their own language, but a dozen other nationalities hearing them in their language. So this is a gift of, of, of hearing tongues rather than speaking tongues. And I think it's just amazing that, that they went out. But what it also shows, this is the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of the evangelistic church, of reaching out into the world. This, this is the apostles who just a week before were cowering in the upper room, uh, afraid that they would be found by the Jewish authorities or by the Roman authorities, afraid to carry on what, what Christ started in his ministry. And now they're going out in the public square and they're speaking publicly. And they're speaking with, with such great power and authority and f- so filled with the Holy Spirit that all these people of all these different cultures and languages are all understanding what they're saying and they realize that they are talking about God. So this is really the birth of the church going out and, and spreading uh, the gospel. So that's one of the, the really powerful uh, messages of, of the Feast of Pentecost. Our next reading comes from uh, Paul to the Romans. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. On the contrary, you are in the Spirit, if only the Spirit of God dwells in you. Whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also, through his Spirit that dwells in you. Consequently, brothers and sisters, we are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption through whom you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If only we suffer with him, so that we may be also glorified with him. The word of the Lord. So Paul's telling the Romans, don't live by flesh, by pleasure, by power, by wealth. These are the things that that entice the flesh. We live by spirit, and we can only live by spirit if we have received the spirit, if we open our hearts to the truth of Christ. Those of you who are listening, uh, most of you are probably Catholic. Most of you are probably teenagers or older. And you received this spirit both at your baptism and again in your confirmation, just as the apostles did. That coming down of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in us through these sacraments. Uh, And I think too often we forget about that and we ignore that presence we're drawn back into, as, as Paul's talking to the Romans, we're, we're drawn into that, that life of the flesh where we worry too much 
about what pleases us, what pleasures us, and what benefits us. And really what benefits us is a relationship with Christ. And you don't have a relationship with Christ through your body. It's, it's an indwelling. It's, it's, it's a relationship of, of the desire and of the intellect uh, more so than the body. You can't do anything to bring about salvation other than cooperate with the Spirit of Christ. We do that through love. Love doesn't, love doesn't require arms. I mean, there are plenty of people who, through uh, defect or accident, uh, have no limbs or don't have use of the limbs, yet they can love. You don't need, uh, you don't need perfect health to love. This is an interior power driven by the Spirit. This is a gift. So it's the love of God, the love of Christ that saves us. Nothing that we can do with our body. It's a very short gospel, but it has one important message, and I have just enough time to share it. This is from the Gospel of John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you are forgiven, you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. So we in our Catholic faith believe that this actually establishes two things. One, it establishes the sacrament of confession, where it gave the, the apostles, the first bishops of the church, the, the ability to forgive sins. But it also gave them, as the, as the magisterium, as the uh, guiding body of the church, it gave them authority to make decisions in God's name, in the name of, in the name of Christ. And it's through that authority that we have the Bible. It's through that authority that we have the sacraments. It's That's Christ acting through the authority he gave his church, the one church he established uh, on earth. So uh, it, I think that helps us to, to understand that this is not a church made by man. This is a church established by Christ, entrusted to man. And I think that's a huge difference between uh, the Catholic faith and, and many other faiths. They all include some truth of God because God's truth is written on our hearts. So you can find truth of God in some amount of truth of God in every religion. But for the fullness of the truth, I believe Scripture proves that that's found uh, only through the church that he established that we now call the Catholic Church. But I'd love to hear your opinion on that. And you can share that opinion by writing to us by email at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.org. I'd love to hear your views on that. That's going to uh, chew up all of our time this week. I love being here, love talking with you. I hope you enjoy the program, and I hope you'll let us know uh, what you think of Good News. And again, ask any questions you'd like to make by writing us at our email, goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Until next week, may God bless you, protect you from all evil, and bring you to everlasting life.
You've been listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio, a program for teens and almost teens to better understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant in your life. Submit your questions to Deacon Al at goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. That's goodnews at catholicspiritradio.com. Deacon will answer your questions about faith and religion. Thank you for listening to Good News on Catholic Spirit Radio.